welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. I wish my life was a nonstop Hollywood movie show. A fantasy world of celluloid villains and heroes. Because celluloid heroes never feel any pain. And celluloid heroes never really die. <laughs> I have heard that before, but I can't place it. Who is that? The Kinks. Celluloid the Kinks. heroes. That sounded awesome, man. That was great. Well it, is a, it is a great segue into today's episode topic. Now, this comes to us from one of our listeners. Uh, he sent us, a, uh, sent us a message on Instagram, Jedi Shocker. So, Jedi, thank you very much for this input. Shocker! Here's the question. How would you guys take a movie series like Jurassic Park or Jurassic World or Jumanji and turn it into a campaign without just copying the movies? How do you take your favorite movie and turn it into a campaign without forcing your players to recreate the movie? So basically, how do you turn it into a campaign world players want to play in without railroading them through a movie adventure? Which I think is a pretty great question because, you know, nine times out of ten, when you think about borrowing from your favorite movie, you do kind of think about railroading, don't you? Well, only because I'm a specialist at railroading. That Absolutely. and the conductor. My, my wizard robes come with a conductor's hat. But <laughs> I, I I want to throw a concern on this topic I have out to you gentlemen. Um, why do video games based on movies often suck? Well, that's a great question. You uh, mean the other way around? You mean movies based on video games? No, video games based on movies also usually suck. Like alien video games and stuff like that. It's very seldom you have a good one. Yes, and I'm just going to throw it. Gut reactions, why? So there's a great movie, like there's a movie that you're like, this movie is awesome. Let's make a video game. It's an obvious choice for a video game. And you get this video game in your hand, and it's garbage. Why? Why why does this always happen? Same reason. Same reason as what uh, Jedi Shocker (laughs) is. uh, I think it's exactly the same reason he's asking, right? It's because the video game goes to the motions. Yeah. Usually when they get it wrong, it's because they're going through the motions. They're just trusting on the property to pull you through rather than creating something creative and good. Whereas if we look at a video game that's based on a movie that is good, like something like some of the Lord of the Rings stuff, it's good because it goes beyond the movie, because it does mm-hmm. other cool things. It's It's got a movie property which it honors and it hits the points of it and it, and it, it pulls in the world and you feel like you're in that movie. But the game itself is a good game regardless of the movie. Oh, Thorne, I would also add, because it just made me think of it when Tony asked the question, the game we played that I had gotten Bonnie for Christmas, the Princess Bride Adventure Book game, and yeah. we were talking about that. So it's a really cool game for anybody out there. It's a board game. But in essence, it, you you play through the movie, and you're playing as different characters. Sometimes you're Wesley, sometimes you're Inigo Montoya, whatever. You're playing through, and you go chapter to chapter, and the game really does make you feel like you're in the movie, but it's not rote. You're not just going through the motions because there's there's agency, I think. There's there's things that can go differently or wrong. Would you agree with that, Thor? Well, yes and no, because it's a fun game still, and there is agency. There's things that can go right or wrong. But having played it, I did have that feeling like, okay, we're just playing through the movie. So now we just got to go through the next set of movie hoops. And I don't want that feeling when I'm playing an RPG. You know, it's different when it's, there's four of us there. We're mega fans of The Princess Bride. We can all quote it. 
you're playing your nostalgia. That's a different sort of thing. I think if you want to make it a living world, you want more out of it. I mean, Tony, what do you mm. think? So here's my point coming back to this. Yes, you, you absolutely touched on it. However, when you buy a video game for $50, $60, you're expecting a decent amount of gameplay out of it. And yeah. what's going on? You sat in a two-hour movie. There's mm. not that much material. Even if you took a trilogy, what do you got, six hours to turn into 40, 50 hours? I mean, Peter it's Jackson, up, you're talking like 9, 12. <laughs> okay, that, that, that's absolutely true. Extended cut. I mean, we could be doing that a weekend. But the point is you're now relying on the creative team to expand on that universe. And where I'm going with this back to the question is if you are going to throw an idea like that, that's got to be the foundation in which you're going to expand upon. But you got to do it vastly. And that expansion is your opportunity not to railroad the party movie scene by scene because that's boring as hell you know that's a great point because i'll also come back to things that happened recently that really focus on that really kind of highlight that if we look at tv shows based on books you know we all know a game of thrones once they got off of the book material like they had an okay season and then the last season kind of fell apart because they didn't have the strong creative basis that they had with the books to the first, well, the first three books in particular. Also recently, Lovecraft Country, which was a fantastic first season of the show. The second season would not have relied on the book. The first season covered the book. The second season went off the book and HBO actually decided, declined to pick that up because they didn't like the creative they were seeing on the second season. Now, people listening may be big fans, may not be big fans. There's, there's, there's some controversy here, but that is the risk. Once you start going, once you got to go off the book, which you kind of have to do to make a satisfying RPG world, you need it to still have that soul that they would have with the rest of the, of the game and still feel like it's, it's in the right spot. It's the right kind of entertainment. It's the right kind of story. And it's trickier to do than it seems. I completely agree. A great example of a video game that took a universe and just expanded upon it brilliantly was Knights of the Old Republic. I know it's a little <laughs> old school, but at the time, Star Wars, this is before there was the Clone Wars and all these other prequels, and then they circled back to ep later episodes, and they it really filled in a lot of very interesting details to that universe that hadn't existed. So if you want to do that, I think that's cool. Just be prepared to do some creative license, and I think your players just need to accept that too, that they can't, can't come at you sideways and be like, what do you mean you're using these different crystals? These didn't exist. <laughs> They do now. You know, when I think about how you do this, there's kind of two ways to go about it. Do you make it a campaign or do you make it like an adventure? Because if you make it an adventure, so say you are trying to adapt Jurassic Park to your to, to your D and D game or to your mod, you know D twenty modern game, however you want to do it, you can have them play through Jurassic Park to an extent. The problem is, in order to really give them agency and have a role-playing game, you need to let them approach it their way. That's sort of the basis for me of the role-playing game, right? You don't want to tell them, okay, now you have to go through the scene where the Tyrannosaurus Rex stomps on your on your overturned Jeep. Now you have to save the girl who's under the Jeep, and you now have to spend the you now you need to you need to play the archaeologist protecting the kids during the night while you watch the dinosaurs. Like that's not a role-playing game. If you're going to do it as a role-playing game, you need to kind of set the scene and then unleash your players into that scene to approach it and solve it however they want to. Which means you got to do things like you got to build out your map. You got to know what's at every location. You got to figure out what kind of encounters they're going to have there. You got to figure out what kind of random encounters they're going to have. And I think that's even at the adventure level, you're going to want to do at least that. 
And then if you're going to expand it to the campaign level, now you're really talking about, okay, you got to make up more NPCs. You got to build a world around it. You got to have places it can go after they solve the first adventure. Hopefully they're better than the sequels to Jurassic Park because those were God awful. <laughs> and you, and you, you, you have, you have to kind of build it out into a world and a movie is not a world. A movie is a linear storytelling technique. RPGs are not necessarily linear. They're open world. Yeah. A couple things. One, I will say, if you are going to do an adventure or a campaign in Jumanji, I think you should be required to have one of your players is going to be Dr. Smolder Bravestone. Like, that's <laughs> that's just going to happen. One of your people is probably going to be a Kevin Hart character. You just deal with that. So that's a tough one. Because you kind of... You kind of have to be those people. You have to have dance fighting in there. Ruby Roundhouse. You have yeah, to you need to. Like, I'm sorry. These are certain things that are just going to have to happen in the in that. Uh, I would say, I think part of this, though, especially if we're talking Jumanji, we're talking Jurassic Park, or we're talking Lovecraft Country you just threw out there, which that was a book prior to? Yeah, it's actually a very celebrated book. I, I have not read the book. I own it. I haven't had a chance to get to it. It is a very celebrated book. And uh, I thought the show, TV show out of it was pretty great. I love the show. I, I, yeah. knew, I had no concept that it was a book before. I'm yeah. a very bad, very bad person for that. I will say, though, with that, it goes back. We, I say this a lot. I can't think it's going to change the system you're in. I don't think you can just run a 5e adventure in Jurassic Park because I'm not going to run from the Velociraptors. I'm going to murder them. I'm going to take on the Tyrannosaurus. I'm, you know, if I'm playing with you guys, Tony's going to bring fucking Hawk Morgan and he's going to try to powerbomb the fucking T-Rex. And he's probably going to do it, right? <laughs> so, that would be wonderful. Right? Yeah, what exactly. Like, I want to see that happen. And the T-Rex doesn't have arms. Yeah, like, we fought, <laughs> we have fought dinosaurs in some of our 5e games. I mean, the stats are in there, right? So I think some of that would have to be some of your system would have to change where it's uh, I wouldn't say you would use like the Call of Cthulhu system because like some of the sanity wouldn't necessarily make sense. But like that's when Jurassic Park will matter because now you're going to die because <laughs> that thing will eat you and you'll die. You won't just be able to take a short rest. So I think a, a big chunk of this uh, definitely has to be with the system you're running, you know, or altering and and coordinating your players into certain things where they can't access maybe certain classes or things like that. Yeah, I think you're definitely looking for a campaign-inspired world, kind of what Thorne was talking on, touching on there. And yeah. I would def I would start the players off at level one so they could have the scary dinosaurs, and they're terrified, they're running, and there's a stampede of them, and oh my god, we could be wiped out right here. That might work. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just frame it differently. Instead of you're in a theme park gone wild, I would turn it into you're in a prehistoric campaign setting. That could work. Or, I mean, it, I mean would, it would be a little dicey. If you want to bring it into D and D, you could have that there is a there there is a conjurer or a mage or some kind of or a druid who has done the Jurassic Park thing and soup and souped up their dinosaurs. Sure, absolutely. Or it's Jurassic Park, but in the Forgotten Realms, let's say. So they have brought back terrible aberrations and beasts from like you know some mythological history of your world you know the first age and they've now let these fucking crazy like abolith things let loose so that would be kind of cool like if you souped it you would definitely have to soup it up though like you my said. worst nightmare the abolith <laughs> just swimming in a is swimming in a fucking uh like a little zoo thing <laughs> come pet the abolith well, Dave, you bring up a great point because that is there's really two ways to do this. And we talked about kind of when I when I kind of was laying out how you do it, I'm approaching it from the point of view of they're in that setting. 
But you can also import the concept into your D&D world or whatever world you're in using the creatures that make sense for that. So you could have, you know, you know, uh, you know what was his name? Dr. Hammond. Hammond's the one who makes the park, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right? You, you can have Hammond is like, yeah, like you said, it could be Hammond could be like a drow showman who wants to open this theme park of these deadly underdark animals for all the other above-worlders to come visit, and they all get eaten. <laughs> I mean, there's there are some cool ways to do that, and you kind of take this the idea and you spin it into your campaign world. If you're going to do the other one, the one that's a little more straightforward and you want to try to say, okay, I really want to have them do a Jurassic World thing, I want to come back to the other thing you mentioned, Dave, which is that dinosaurs in 5e against any kind of leveled party are not that tough. Like I threw, a, I, threw a t I threw, I threw, I think two T-Rexes at you guys at a level where that should have been a tough fight. And you went through them like it was like frog in a blender. I mean, you guys just shredded those T-Rexes. They were not a fight. Although I did manage well, to we'll get stare one. at a bridge for an hour. Right. <laughs> I did manage to get one of you swallowed uh, and uh, not quite swallowed, but in the mall, one of you was in the T-Rex's teeth. And then the T-Rex, I think. I yeah. Think and then the other time we had, uh, there was a giant brontosaurus in front of the temple and we just kind of spoke with animals and convinced it to be like, Hey, why don't you, why don't you just take a hike? We're going to take care of these guys that are like, you know, <laughs> bothering you. You know, that's true. That's true. It changes. So I think what you need to do, if you want to do a true Jurassic Park with something like D&D characters, I think you need to take your monsters. And as Tony said, either make sure the characters are low level or make sure the monsters are souped up in such a way that it makes sense. I would definitely give the like, OK, so if I was going to build Jurassic Park in D&D, the T-Rex definitely gets a fear, a dragon fear aura, 100%. T-Rex gets some legendary actions. The T-Rex is effectively a dragon that can't fly and doesn't have a breath weapon. If you want to do Jurassic Park in your game, that's what you should make your T-Rex. You know, make it something that is a legendary monster, because that's what the T-Rex is in that world. You need to take your uh, your, your, your raptors, which in D&D, by the way, are the Deionicuses. Uh, which are in there, and they are pretty badass. It's one of your better druid trans transformations. But you, we need to take them and make them really aggressive and stealthy pack hunters. So you know, where they're trying to corner players and get them off to the side. So you need to figure out ways to make these things happen to create that sense of fear you have in Jurassic Park in a game of D&D &D where if you're not, if the animals aren't actively trying to kill the players, the players will just kill the animals. You know, because yeah. they will. It, it, Dave's 100% right. Like, if you just run the book the, the book dinosaurs at your players, unless you're really, like, crazy, like like CR12 versus second-level versus second-level party, I think your party runs through them. Yeah. It's just the dinosaurs think, aren't tough enough. Well, a big problem with this entire concept, if we're doing it by – if you, what you really want to do it very strictly movie-inspired is – that it's predetermined. And I think that kind of sucks a lot of the energy out of the room. Well, how, does, how do you think it's predetermined? Yeah, what do you mean by that? Well, if we're doing scene by scene, first of all, you have very limited agency. And That's then, true. Yeah. I mean, like, seriously, like, you know, for example, what if I did Star Wars, original trilogy? And like, okay, you're Luke, you're Han, you're Chewie. Unless these, your audience knows absolutely nothing about this, it's there's just no there would be zero tension in it honestly i would not do it scene by scene right right yeah i want to add to this because this is something I, I was waiting to see when i would bring this out because it's been something that's been percolating in my mind for years now um terrifying yeah <laughs> i just don't know i don't know i don't know uh i know kind of how i would do it i just don't know you know with the right group or something and it would be more of an experiment and just having fun but it's not scene by scene. 
But it is if you took a campaign and you you in essence took everything you know about the movie or the film or whatever. So my my example that I use is the Lord of the Rings. You know, your players are the fellowship, but that is where the movie ends and the story begins. The same things are happening. The Nazgul are still hunting for you and they are still wildly overpowered for you. Right. For quite a while. Sauron is still doing his thing. Sauron's doing his thing. The orcs are doing their thing. And what do you do and how does that change the world? Maybe you go and get the eagles, like everyone said, and fly to fucking Mount Doom and have this crazy aerial fight with those lizard dragon things that the Nazgul ride. Right. But in essence, like you could do it, but not in a scene by scene thing if you wanted to go that route with it. Um, but you would have to have it be just open. And then, as Thorne says, a lot of times you're playing the world and the world is responding to the choices that you make. Maybe you don't go to Bray. Maybe you head somewhere else. Maybe you try to stay in the Shire and the fight comes to you. And who knows? Right. But I, it's always been something that I've kind of played with because it's such a beloved property. And uh, I think it might be. Kind of fun. I don't know. It may be kind of fun, but you need an audience who really needs to detach from any meta knowledge. You can't be like, let's just go get the eagles, because then, you you know, we already uh, shot the moon. The thing is, you can, though. And I would actually do this the same way Dave just described. Because whether you're talking Jurassic Park or you're talking Lord of the Rings, I would start with the map. I would know what's in the different places of the map. I would take the players to a certain handoff point. So it was in Jurassic Park. I'd probably take the players through basically on rails until the park breaks down. And now they're stuck there with a the T-Rex. And now what do you do? Well, I mean, if, the park is literally on rails. So yeah, right, I mean, that right, kind of right. works. Ah. How else do you fucking get there, right? But, but the characters did jump <laughs> off the train. They did jump off the train in, in the incubation yeah. room. So yeah, yeah. there we see they have agency. Yeah. But you open it up from there and you let them go where you they want to go. And it's the same thing with Lord of the Rings. You have them start with Gandalf giving them the quest. You tell them they need to go meet someone in Bree. So they probably go to Bree to get Aragorn. And then you just let them do what they want to do. You let them decide. And here's the thing, because we all know the eagle trick. So if they want to go find the eagles, you're going to need to know, and you should know ahead of time, what's involved in getting the eagles. Do they have access to them? Can they talk Gandalf into it? And if they get to the eagles, what happens? Do the eagles make it, or do the eagles just get slaughtered by Nazgul and their uh, and their fell beast? You fill that in, and that's what makes it a fun playthrough. Because they don't need to let go of their meta knowledge. You just need to develop what would happen if they did those things. You because know, they would yeah. know some of that meta knowledge, right? Like, if you had someone who was a Gandalf character, they would know these things, right? Or Radagast, yeah. or whoever, right? Aragorn would know certain things, and he could take them to Rivendell and talk to Elrond, and that would be a friendly NPC, because... So you could use it, but then you're, as the DM, have all of that meta-knowledge, too. The only thing you want to be careful of is if you played it with someone like, I don't know, Tony, who knows every <laughs> fucking line uh, that Tolkien ever wrote, right? That might be a problem, right? <laughs> You, you you need someone who can, who can accept your interpretation of what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But actually, the other thing that's fun about that is also letting the players build their own characters. Because right away, you have them start with different characters. 
And maybe someone still has to be Frodo, or maybe not. Maybe there's a way you can work in why this person is the ring bearer instead of Frodo. But you let them make their own characters, and that right away, you're in the world playing the story, but from a totally different point of view, which can be really cool. So that's that's the approach I would take to it, you know? You do have to be careful with, okay, if you're doing Jurassic World and you're bringing wizards and barbarians into it, that doesn't exactly work. You either need, D20, you either need to do something more D20 modern with that or a different kind of modern system. Yes. Or you would need to bring it back and fit it in your D&D campaign in one of the ways we talked about. Or I you mean, just there is a reason. Thing and you just force them into new characters you've developed. There is a reason that a lot of these properties create their own RPG system. I mean, one is to sell sure. the RPG. Another is to properly recreate the confines of that world. So, for instance, like I had gotten a copy of the uh, Middle Earth for 5e, the Adventures in Middle Earth for 5e, yeah. like the, the supplement. And it's very 5e compatible, but it it very hard rails you into certain types of classes that you can be. You can't just be, well, I'm just some crazy-ass wizard and I have all of this power because, I mean, the most powerful wizard on the planet can light pine cones, right? And, you know, cast light on his fucking staff, right? I might argue so, the most powerful wizard yeah, on the planet. like, God, come on. That's yeah. what I'm saying, you know? So they, they very much confine what you can do to reflect that world. So there is something to be said about that, too, like I said, with the system. I might argue the most powerful wizard on the planet is the one who made all those rings that took control of the world. I mean, that was that was bigger than lighting some pine cones on fire. Yeah, he was a, you know, he was. Artificers are powerful in the, in the Lord of the Rings system. I'll say that. <laughs> True. With that said, what so, I would definitely advise is mm, you want to, you have an idea, ha have a system you could play it in. Do yeah. not try to do any crazy. I'm gonna make a system around this idea because now you're you're you got this at two different angles and it's it get extremely complicated very quickly. So also, yeah, if you have an idea, then. Like Thorne was suggesting, like, hey, there's a showman in Jurassic World, and he's got these mutated dinosaurs. Then, you know, you, you got an existing, an existing system you could do a take on, and that kind of flies. And that's a great point, and I think, because you don't want to build a whole system from scratch unless you're really into that. I mean, because that is a whole and I've tried. you gotta, you got to put together. And <laughs> it's a lot of work. Tony did try to create the Dragon Ball Z role-playing game. Uh, it was pretty cool, but I don't know if it ever got off the ground. Oh, no, it, it, it did work. But I mean, you know, um, to a point, again, it was it was cool within my audience. Let me put it like that. It's a bigger job than it sounds. You know, it's something that you want to bring in. Probably a, you probably want to pick your system like you either want to know how it's going to fit in your version of D&D &D or D20 or you could go to like a GURPS. GURPS is made for handling anything. Yeah. You can go to what we understand is a very simple system in Rifts, which is I'm sure you can learn in like six hours. Uh, sure. <laughs> right, Tony? You actually can do you can do anything in riffs. <laughs> Just those battles, everybody bring a box of Joe. I mean, everybody bring your own box of Joe. Yeah. And there's other systems to let you do that though too. There's uh um Savage World, I think, has a ton of things built out of it. I do. Yeah, Savage Worlds RPG, and they have a lot of games based on it. So that's another one you could look at. Yeah, you know, so you want something like that that you can basically be flexible with that you can fit your setting into. Or you take what most pop culture and these things are and as an inspiration to play with in your world, but not necessarily creating it as a whole campaign setting. But if you are, put it into the campaign setting as it is not that specific one, like Thorne, you said with yeah. the Lord of the Rings, the video games, Shadow of Mordor and stuff. You're in that world or 
uh, some of the Star Wars games, like the Galaxies, the MMORPG that they had put out, that puts you in that world, and you can have access and meet some of these legendary characters that are fun, you know, and you're part of the world. I would shoot this back to some of our Marvel games. We're putting that into a massive campaign setting, but we're not playing through any specific... We're not trying to recreate the Avengers movie, but it might be existing in that same world in the same way that, like, their Netflix series had been, like, the street level of what happens when the Avengers, you know, come through town and the Chitauri attack, you know? And to be fair, you guys have pulled enough comic books out and said it's this scene from the comic that I think you are. You're maybe not recreating the movies, but you sure are recreating some some favorite favorite comic moments. That's not me, though. That's not that's, me. That's true. That's not me. That's the third DM. That's Chris. That's yeah. Dave's brother. <laughs> and, and He's actually the, he, the he first. Knows. If you are going to run a themed scenario like this, too, I would also consider system really fits it. So, for example, if we're sticking with Jurassic Park, is this kind of horror survival? Maybe the Call of Cthulhu system's better than 5e. Maybe. The only problem, you I mean, if you got rid of madness, because I don't see Jurassic World as like a madness type of setting. No. Like, Agreed. Yeah, but, but I do like the idea that it is more of a survival horror kind of thing, where you're not really fighting back too much. You're mostly running from dinosaurs. Actually, you know what? You absolutely could. Because I kind of said this, but then I was like, the sanity doesn't make sense, just like Tony said. But you could if you just renamed it. It's like your fear scale. So mm-hmm. the same way you lose sanity points and go temporarily insane, you're losing fear points because you're in front of a fucking T-Rex or a swarm of velociraptors, right? That's and true. it could work in some of that same way, you know? And, you know, and I guess if I think back to the way Jurassic Park presents that, there are a couple scenes where a character has what would effectively be a failed failed horror role, and they scream or they breathe or they run when they should have held still and they get eaten. There so, you go. Yeah, actually, from that point of view, that does make sense. I mean, maybe not the long-term insanity, but they definitely do have moments where they blow horror checks. Horror checks are certainly involved. So that's a good point. Yeah, I guess I also want to throw out there, too. I mean, it really hinges on the flavor if from the movie if you want to transfer that cleanly into your campaign for example do you want your barbarian suplexing the t-rex i mean <laughs> if you think that's cool try to do then great 5e it is you guys will be mid-level and you will be beating those dinosaurs asses but if this is survival you're trying to escape you're trying to figure out what's going on mm. You could still do it in 5e, but then I would do, I would recommend slow level advancement, and I feel dirty saying that. Well, if you're going to do it in 5e, I don't think it's that long of a game, and I think you like you said the first time you do it you do it either early, or what I suggested was you ramp up the dinosaurs, like because you, you basically you need there need there to be if you want the players to be afraid of the monsters, the monsters have to be high enough above them to be able to kill them in a one on one fight. You, you need that level difference. Otherwise, yeah, if the players can take the monsters, it's not Jurassic Park. It's, you know, it's it's basically Jurassic Fight Club. And which dinosaurs ass am I kicking tonight? Yeah, I would say, though, like that goes back to Thorne, something you asked in the very beginning. And it plays to this. You don't even have to worry about whether they're going to be mid-level or they're going to be suplex and they're going to have all these powers. Because with both of these, Jumanji and Jurassic Park or World. Those are straight adventures. That's not a campaign. That's a three to four night session at most. Maybe it's even a one. Jumanji could be a one shot. I mean, they literally, that movie, what was, you know, people love so much about it is because like 
the very tongue-in-cheek about video games. They went level to level to level. They literally had six encounters and fight the big boss and do the quest, get, you know, the fetch quest. And then they're done. Have you not watched the original Jumanji? No, no, I don't care about that one. You don't, don't care about the Rob Williams? Get out. No, Get out. You don't no. care about the Rob Williams. I'm sorry. Jumanji. Look, yeah. the minute, the minute that Jumanji <laughs> with the rock came out, I, I'm sorry. It took over. That's just, the, 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 that's the, the one that the you're going to play. The rock displaced Rob Williams. I am oh so Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, for no, this, Rob, yes. no, Rob Williams was better than The Rock. I'm I mean, so... in my heart, no, but in this, <laughs> in Jumanji, fuck yeah, he did. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting though, because <clears throat> we're talking about, you know, what is the difference here? These movies are very different. The first Jumanji plays more like it, it is more of things are invading the world and you're running away from monsters. The second and third Jumanji movies, the more recent ones where it is a video game, yeah. you're right. They are totally an episodic little action movie. Yeah. And they, actually, those are different kinds of adventures if you're going to adapt them. They're totally different. It's an adventure. So is, but so is Jurassic Park. It's a mm-hmm. couple nights. You're in the park, and here's the inciting incident. Uh, you know, the security broke yeah. down that they thought they had for the Aboleths or whatever you're doing. The security broke down, and now X, Y, Z, here you are. Now what do you do? And it's not going to be 20 levels of that. I mean, how big is this fucking park, right? Yeah. No, you're right. Although, if you go Jurassic World, where by the end, by the over the, after the last what was I forget the last movie, but the, the Jurassic World movies have ended in a spot where dinosaurs have escaped and are now part of our world, and that makes a more interesting long-term campaign. Mm, mm. Well, yeah, I mean that could be that could be an inciting incident that is how you start off your campaign, and this is how the world is populated with these terrible beasts, which is kind of awesome. Well, I mean, if you're going to run a full-length campaign on there, a lot has to be going on to keep everyone's interest in this. It's like, okay, there's dinosaurs. All right, well, are, are we a tribe, and we're trying to get to somewhere safe? And then what happens when we get there? There all kind of has to be a progression not just oh, we're running around in the jungle and there's dinosaurs and there's a sick dinosaur. Then there's a big pile of dinosaur shit. I mean, it has to be adapted into a progression of a campaign with plot points. Uh, what, what's that going to look like in terms of NPCs? What kind of people can they interact with? Or is it just them and dinosaurs? Which is great I, for me because you don't get any funny voices. Tone, I would say, I, I, I think you could absolutely run big chunks of a campaign just having your players running around in the woods just constantly lost in the what woods. What kind of lunatic would do that? I don't know. I'm just saying. I mean, I've, I've heard it's possible. You know, it worked for a long time. I didn't run into trouble until I took you guys out of the woods and put you in a dungeon. You guys did, we did, we did great in the woods. And then, you know, when, when I started putting people in dungeons in actual fights, you know, then people started getting upset. That was a problem. <laughs> My whole early career was just running around in circles in a dungeon, and that was perfectly fine. So, if I was going to adapt Jurassic Park, exactly what I would do, I would get a map of the island, which is out there. I'm sure you can find that very easily. I would put in the stuff I know is there from the movie. I would see what else is out there. I mean, the book has a lot of different stuff in it. Um, I would see you probably can populate that entire park with encounters and NPCs based on stuff you could find online. And where you can't, you fill some stuff in. Just what's an interesting thing could happen here. Take them to a certain point. But you basically you have your map set up, right? You have your you have your areas and the things that happen in each area, and you just let the party 
go do what they want to do. You're going to need to have reasons why they can't get off the island without going to the right spot to get off the island. So at the end, they're going to need to get back to the home base area to try to, to try to find their way out. But beyond that, I think you can just leave them go. And they're challenging, what is the progression of that adventure? That adventure is all about, okay, you're, you, you are caught in a dinosaur bear trap and your adventure is in getting out. What do you do? You know, it's, it's basically them trying to, trying to survive and escape. If you turn it into a campaign where the dinosaurs are all over the world, and then it becomes more a matter of you're coming up with what interesting things the dinosaurs do this week and what are you doing about it? And then, yeah, you, you put some plot hooks in as far as you can go here, you can go there, you can do this, you can do that. And maybe your players have some ideas. Maybe you got a player who can talk to dinosaurs and maybe ride some. Because, I mean, let's face it, what we all want out of a dinosaur world is the ability to have dinosaur mounts. Yeah. We all want Dinotopia. Or, or let me try to pitch this. I could say I'm running a Jurassic Park campaign, original material, and what I really do is just get a hold of the, the original D&D expert series Isle of Dread and just, like, throw that out there. There you go. That's look at this, guys. Yeah, that was the Dinosaur early Jurassic War. Is that what it was? What was Isle of Dread? I don't know this one. Oh, my God. I played this more years ago than I'm willing to admit. But, yeah, it was very dinosaur heavy, as I recall. Yeah, it was actually the first introductory uh, adventure, I think, prior to Keep on the Borderlands, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah, I think it was the original introductory adventure to the that they came in, well, the, in the one set. I think. It was published in 81, so let me just say, I'm not old enough to say I played it when it came out. That's like, <laughs> out, out of the womb rolling. But I think this is similar. I mean, just the one when you guys were just talking about this uh, that popped in my mind is one that I did for the Strahd campaign for our Christmas game, where I took the idea from the Nosferatu series and book, more the series, because I watched the TV series. And I thought Christmas Land was a cool thing to use uh, that fit into the tone of our our current campaign. Uh, but it wasn't part of the whole. It wasn't a campaign, but it was an adventure. And I had the map, as Thorne, you said, I had the map, and I just start populating it out. And then I get you guys to come in the gates and. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and that played out really cool. That was a lot of fun, and we weren't on rails by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, no. I guess that 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 park never shows up in the series, so there was nothing to railroad us with. Yeah, it's a little. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard. I just, I mean, I railroaded you into showing up there, but outside of yeah. that, I mean, that's. <laughs> You know, there's always well, a level what, of that, you know, or else everybody stays in the fucking inn ordering egg. One of the things that really worked with what you did there was, for me, it was all crazy and mysterious because I was not familiar with any of that. That's true. And, yeah, you didn't. And I'm like, what? What's in here? Let's go around. Like, what's on this ride? Should we yeah. go in here? Are we missing something? If you're able to create an environment in your game where your players want to explore everything because they're afraid they're going to miss something, that's ideal. Yeah. Now, yeah. I will say here, so one, I got the map that I feel is actually from the book, I want to say. I never read the book, but I think it's from the book. But I had, I had the idea from the series. Now, I had watched the series and Bonnie had watched the series. So she kind of knew what Christmas Land was and Charlie Manx and all of this idea. But that's kind of where it ended. She didn't know any of that other stuff because I wasn't just playing on, oh, well, this happened in the show, so I'm going to take that, and that has to be there and that. But I used it as, like I was saying, I used it as the fodder, the inspiration to build something out that was kind of unique and, and different, you know, while still holding true to the, the original story. Much like Thorne is saying with a lot of products, or Tony, you said with Knights of the Old Republic, you used the existing world, but you did it, you put it in a place where... It, it wasn't happening in tandem. 
so you were able to build out some of the world a little bit more in your own in your own image in a way. If you're gonna do something, I think the like something like the Lord of the Rings, of course, is the most fertile kind of ground because it would mesh with Five E. But it does, it doesn't, and it really depends upon your audience and the and, the, and how you want to spend that. Like when you say like, hey, we got to roll back how magic works, and I'll be like, mm, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that at all. I would just up Gandalf's abilities in that game. I would make him a proper level 20 wizard. I agree. And then, yeah, I agree. And uh, I, I liked everything else we put out there. Like, yeah, we have maps, we have encounters, free to handle this however you want. But here, I mean, maybe you just leave it to a general premise. There is a ring. It needs to be destroyed. And they have agency. You want to keep it? That was ah. actually a real thing on the table. I don't you know. know I'm, the mother, I'm the guy who would run away and keep the damn ring. I don't know. I'd put, I I would push back a little on that just because I think that, like I say, in the same way that certain systems are going to go towards certain franchises better. But on another note, I think if you're just saying, like, let's just take D&D 5D and let's put it into something cool. But there does there's going to be some coordinating, depending on what you're playing with, that will change that. For instance, like, let's go back to Dragonlance, right? One of the main inciting incidents of the Dragonlance series is that clerics have come back into the world. Healing magic has re-entered the world through Golden. Golden. Yeah, so you can't just have like a party full of just all clerics, or there has to be at least some explanation for that. You know what I mean? So like with a Lord of the Rings, one of the points of it is that it's so low magic. You know, even the elves, they're using like ritual nature magic. So yeah. To just have a bunch of magic users out there, I don't know. I th- I think it it takes away some from the property. You know, I've actually thought about this because I've thought about doing that campaign where we would be like kind of like in a Celtic, Roman, Britain, kind of like not a, a Gaul kind of Germany kind of France yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. Because if you want to do a Celtic system, you probably want to do it low magic. But I don't think if you're going to do 5e, you really can do – you can't really limit your players that way. Which means you need to kind of find the balance there. And what I thought I would try with this – this is untested. What I thought I would try is basically get let the players pick whatever they want. Let the players know, though, that there is not much magic in the world. Like, okay, you may be a gifted sorcerer. You may have made a deal with the bog monster to be a warlock. But you're finding almost no one else like that except for a few – isolated hermit-like individuals like Gandalf. And then with those few magic users you have, crank them up, but they don't necessarily use their powers that way. If you're doing Gandalf as an 18th level or 20th level uh, wizard, you adjust his powers to fit the kind of approach he has to the world, which is a much more subtle approach to magic than, say, Albus Dumbledore, who's going to break out the flame wave and just set the entire (laughs) building on fire. You know, that's not Gandalf's, That's that's not his game. That's a great scene, though. Yeah, it is. Well, ironically, Gandalf, his entire career was him soft-pitching his abilities. Yeah. Because you didn't want to realize who he really was. He was in disguise pretty much the whole time. I mean, the only time he really shows his ability is when he's fighting the Balrog. Yeah. Even that, he does with a sword. Which, okay, don't even get me started on that. And out of sight, too, in a way. Because what do you do? He casts shield. And then he gets pulled down into the fucking depths. So he's like, I'm fighting off screen. Yeah, like <laughs> right, like he. I cast a third level yeah. spell. 
So, you know. are we really are we really gonna say Tolkien made a mistake? This great master of fantasy literature made a mistake by putting his single best duel off screen. I mean, I don't know. Can we really call that a mistake? He seemed to work. No, because it's it's like all great horror movies who don't show the bug-eyed monster, right? Because the imagination is so much greater, right? It's interesting we keep coming back. We keep coming back to our holiday game because the truth is the process we go through for the holiday games is very similar to the process you would go through to adapt a movie or write yeah. a story. It's the same idea. We are adapting a story. We're adapting a Christmas story to our game or a Halloween story to our yep. game. And if you're Tony, you throw in a little Avengers into your game because that was really cool. That was cool, yeah. I'm glad you thought so. Yeah. And you do all those things, and like that's the same kind of process you want to take because what you want to achieve, whether you're going to go with the hardcore recreation where I'm going to remake Jurassic Park for my players to play through it, or I'm going to take the kind of the more homage kind of approach of, okay, we're going to have, you know, Barnaby the fat drow carnival guy with all his underdark monsters for people to come check out. And oh, by the way, they're escaping and eating people. You know, whichever way you go with it, it's that same kind of approach. It's the, I know what the themes are I'm playing with. I know the characters I'm playing with. And we haven't touched on this, but the NPCs are really going to make your setting, what Tony often talks about. That's, you know, you can almost do anything else with the mechanics. If the party runs into Gandalf, Galadriel, Nazgul, they're going to feel like they're in the Lord of the Rings. You hit them with the, you know, the, you hit them with the locations, you know, they're in Mirkwood. They see the, um, the Argonaut the going down, going down the yeah. river. They see Gondor. It, it doesn't matter what the mechanics are you're playing. If they see those things and talk to those people and you hit those things in a way that captures the feel very much like our holiday games, you're going to have a successful game. I, I do like Dave's point that I feel that a lot of these games are really ripe for a one shot, perhaps uh, a mm. couple of sessions, but a full, a full campaign. Like, I, I mean, you know, do you want to do a full campaign at, at C, for example? Uh, you know, there's me. I believe sure. you did that. Um, we, we shot had a lot of the one campaign at sea. That was our mode of transportation until I got bored with that and gave you well, a flagship. That's, that's totally that's totally different. Saying that you're doing something at sea is different than if you're saying we're going to do Pirates of the Caribbean. Because at sea is a setting, and that can include all kinds of stuff, as opposed to we're going to have to go. The Jolly to, Roger. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, or you're going to be Hook and you're chasing after Peter Pan, you know. Like, that's very different than, well, this is a C campaign. To very, very different. There. Well, I think what we're running into also is the matter of the source material you're talking about. A movie yeah. is generally an adventure length, and yeah. often a one-nighter. It's often a one-shot. Yeah. Some movies are longer. Some movies you, you're, you're going to get a longer, like you might get two or three of nights out of. But a movie is made to be an adventure. A TV show is more campaign. A book is often more of a campaign. Lord of the Rings is absolutely a campaign. You have oh, a lot of ground to cover. You have a lot of stuff to get into. You have a lot of side quests you can play with. You have a lot of off-screen stuff that you can get get into that you can pull out of other material. You can do that as a campaign, but the reason you do that as a campaign is because it's a three books of great material. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they can be level one going debris and be level fifteen fighting on the on the Pelennor fields. Well, yeah, Lord of the Rings, the the, the map of Middle Earth is massive. It is a world where sure. the map of Jurassic Park or Jumanji. The one with the rock is much smaller. <laughs> it's much. I wonder how much hate we'll get from either way, either the, <laughs> either against me or against Thor. I don't know which way it'll go. Yeah, but. I think the truth is more of our fans are going to be moved by the fact that Karen Gillan is in the second one. Woo! Rock. Uh, <laughs> but way different because the map of Jurassic Park or the map of Jumanji is 
is an adventure size map. It's a dungeon, right? Sure. It's yeah. not a a world where you have factions and people and civilizations and towns and all this kind of stuff. So if you're going to launch something like that, you got two different ways you can do it. You can have the session zero with everybody, you know, even if it's the middle, you know, beginning of campaign, middle of campaign, or just throw this out in the beginning, like, hey, this is what I do and prep everybody. Or, and hear me out, you just spring it on them. Like you're in the middle of this and you wait till they realize they're on your own version of Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> because I, there is a there was an original uh, Ravenloft product. I say original. It was it was in two E. Uh, in the where basically you were on the Isle of Doctor Monroe. It was extremely and clearly and obviously influenced by that. My one buddy got it, and it was Tom, and he just wrote something on a piece of paper, and he slid it to me. I'm like, are we on the Isle of Doctor Monroe? Mar- Mar- and I'm like, yes. And he slid it back, and he just kept it to himself for the rest of the game. The, the surprise factor is cool, but you do have to be careful with the whole underdark surprise thing, right? Because, Tony, we've talked a lot about that cam- campaign you had where you dropped them right in the underdark. and like, I thought we were going to be playing above ground. And no, 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 no. Year-long trek with no sunlight in the player's box. So you, I love the surprise. Believe me, I love dropping things as surprises. I don't like telling the players what they're running into, except you need to tell them enough so that they're bought into what you want to do. Depends. Depends on what you're doing. So Tony's Underdark thing, though, I think was just a where, because they had gone over, we're going to do an Underdark campaign, and then they kind of were like, eh, we're not really feeling this as we're in the adventure. That's a totally different thing. But uh, session zero, you would need to have, uh, you would need to have happened if you were doing this as this is the setting that we're playing in, and these are the way, these are the the truths of the world, and this is how uh, magic might work a little different in my campaign or things like that. If this is a they're on their campaign and there's like an offshoot little side quest that turns into they show up at Jurassic Park. Nobody has, that's, the point is to surprise them with that, because that's where that fun is, when some of the players will be like, oh shit, we're in fucking Jumanji, or something, right? Because it's not forever, it's a little thing. Like, you guys wouldn't want to play in Christmas Land forever, but for a one night, super fun, because it totally, it's the palate cleanser like we've talked about. So it depends on how you're, if you're setting it as your campaign setting, or if you're doing this as like a, Man, I really want to play in in that that little adventure. Where I'm going to put them in there somehow, you know, for a couple nights. That is what's really great about the one shot adventure, and why I love the Dungeon Magazine adventures because I can just throw something out, and if they didn't like it, who cares? We're on the next one. Some people really responded very strongly to that, and other people were like, eh, "I really didn't like it." and Great. We're done with it right there. So I guess it almost sounds like the easiest way to do this is as a one shot. Like if you're going to do a whole campaign, you better prep your players. But if you're going to take something you love and drop them into it as just like a as just like a one shot, best to do it like as a quick couple couple hours or a couple sessions campaign, right? Or adventure, not campaign. That sounds pretty solid. Yeah. And honestly, if going back to the, the, well, the problem I have with the Underdark campaign that I can relate to this is if you're going to make a whole campaign out of this. And I'm looking back and reflecting upon the failure of that was <laughs> it, no, to be really honest, like not all my ideas are genius. Like, let's just be really, I mean, read some of my articles. No, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if you're going to do an Underdark campaign or a Jurassic Park or a prehistoric campaign, or that's the area in your world where they're operating, you have to sell that why that's where they want to be. Like why this is neat. There's neat things. There's interesting things happening. 
there it's different it's exciting there's greater rewards so if if you're going to have a campaign environment within your overall world like if you're doing jurassic park it's not the planets unless you're doing a prehistoric world the point is you are going to want to have reasons why they they're, they're they have investment in that why they're interested in that there's new opportunities to do things they can't in a different campaign there's other things that are going to happen uh, risks rewards story developments and that will help bind them into that for the long term the underdark campaign it was a place i didn't really draw them in all right so guys we've been going on about this one for a little bit so why don't we get to our final thoughts what are your final thoughts on adapting movies and other properties, mostly movies, to your adventures and campaigns? I think it is doable. It needs to be approached in a way where if it's going to be a whole campaign, yeah, session zero, let's lay this out. Everyone needs to be like, we are doing this. It does stand a chance. We're doing a one shot, surprise it on them. You know, some people will be like, we roll their eyes and be like, oh, other people are like, yeah, that's neat. Yeah, we like Jurassic Park. Kind of like when we were in the Marvel game and we ran into, we had that whole scenario where they, they had the, he spoofed the, the Rowdy Roddy Piper movie. They live, yeah. Yeah. They live, yeah. thank you. But like when we got into that, I'm like, wow, this, this is actually kind of cool. We, we rolled with it. When the DM throws it out there, you go along with it. You're like, oh, I am a serious actor. I don't, I don't want that. You're pretending to be a guy who are in a Don't tell me how serious you are. Yeah, you're pretending you're in spandex. Come on now. <laughs> don't take it's yourself flex, seriously. It's a flex suit, Dave. I wear a flex suit. <laughs> so I would say, again, just to reiterate, if you're going to do Jumanji, you need to have one player who has nothing but 20s and then one player who has nothing but dump stats and they're going to be the Kevin Hart character and you oh. need to have dance fighting. So there you go. That's, that's just, there it is for that. Um, I'll go back. I will say, I think depending on what property you are thinking about utilizing, if you are thinking about utilizing it for a whole, for like a campaign, you might want to consider a different system. We talked about a couple Call of Cthulhu, GURPS, Savage World, some things like that, that might be a little more uh, apropos for what you're trying to do. I would say uh, the adventure versus the campaign changes it dramatically. If you want to do it as a little side quest, then have at it. If you're setting up a whole campaign, you probably need to do a little bit more uh, homework for it. And I'm still thinking that I that idea for the Lord of the Rings thing where the players are playing through the same world, the same time, but what are their choices? I, I still see it happening. I see nine players, and they are all playing those characters. They have to build Frodo out how they want him, and they build up Aragorn how they want him, and then and then we'll see what happens. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. To be continued. Nine? Did you do a nine? Nine. Why do I players? think I'm gonna? I think it's possible. Why do I think I'm gonna end up being bored? <laughs> well, someone someone plays Gandalf and has to like disappear for like three sessions and then come back more powerful. Yeah, that's yeah, give that to your player that's like can't always be there, right? Like they're like I can't make it this session, and you're like, oh, that's that's I fine. Show you're, up at every session, you're researching. Uh. You're researching at your at your wizard's tower. Yeah, you're researching. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I love the principle of it, but if you were gonna play it out just like the books, that's gonna be a nightmare to DM. He splits the party into three different storylines. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why it's a matter of you set it up and all the thing, all the machinations of the world are happening. But what do the players now do? It still has to completely be driven by the players entirely. But the amount of lore that you can pull from 
is yeah. there. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's still like that's why it's still in the back of my head and hasn't come forward fully. <laughs> I'd let them make their own characters. Yeah. Like I'd let them I'd let them take different characters in just so you could mix it up a little bit. Okay. Because you want to get all just because the way that book plays out is impossible to DM. You know, no, you can't just, split it out. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. Like you need them staying together, which means you need a whole different set of personalities. You need people who aren't going to try to steal the ring. You know, it's just there's like a lot of like I love the idea, but there's like some stuff in there where I'm like, let's just let the party do it from the beginning. Wait, you know? no, I know, I know. Can't steal the ring. I it's mean, like, to what extent? I mean, this like, is my albatross. This is my <laughs> one thing that, like, it seems so cool and it's probably terrible, but that's my MacGuffin. I'm there you go. Yeah, that's my. MacGuffin. I'm taking the MacGuffin. You know, we uh, we're bringing. Yes, you know, so someone comes to the party as a thief. They're like, oh yeah, they're just here. They're just here to check out the dragon sword. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm not at all <laughs> going to try to steal your amazing mystical magic ring. <laughs> yeah. Where's my so, Arkenstone? Yeah. Well. The, at the end of the Throne of Bloodstone, you the whole point was to bring peace to the kingdom forever and have not someone wander off with the wand. I mean, you know, it's... And we saw how that ended in the in one of Tony's recent articles. Check it out about the hardest module ever. It's on our website, and it is pretty cool. About right. how I ended up being turned into a goat, yes. Into a goat? You mean the greatest of all time? Well, I, I was a demon lord, so I guess... I guess so. I guess you can so. Make that, you can make that claim. You were a demon lord, and you were both kinds of goats. <laughs> Right? It's like dual goat action. Alright, so my final thoughts. So first of all, if you're going to do Jumanji, absolutely do the Robin Williams version. It's got better characters. It has Sturges in it. I don't know what Dave's thinking. Do the Robin Williams version. It'll be hilarious. When it comes to doing this kind of thing, you know, we didn't, we, we've, we've danced around. I don't know who said it straight out. You know, pick the property you want to make, and then the big thing you have to do is to understand what makes it feel like that property. What is it about the story, about the setting, about the NPCs that you need to hit in the adventure or the campaign you make to make your players feel like they're in that setting? If you can isolate those things, if you can understand that, and you can understand it the way your players understand it. Because sometimes if you have a different, if you have a different understanding of the, of the movie than your players do, you can bring different things that don't resonate with them. But if you get your players, you know you all like this movie, and you know why you all like this movie, you can hit the big points, you can make that really successful. And that's almost more important than anything else we've talked about. Understand the essence of it, try to capture the essence of it in whatever you're trying to do. And then just, you know, build it out like any other adventure. You know, whether you're going to port it into your game or port your players into that game, I think they can all work really well so long as you understand what makes it feel right and you get that feel in whatever you do well guys that's it for me thanks a lot for coming for stopping by to talk about turning movies into games absolutely good stuff and thank you all for listening to another episode of three wise dms we really appreciate all the support if you like what you heard please hit the five star rating button in your podcast platform leave us a review tell your friends if you want to see more go to threewisedms.com where we have as i mentioned articles every week so we do one podcast a week and one article a week on threewisedms.com so if you go there you're going to get double the content this episode was the result of a reader question if you'd like us to cover your reader question please send in your ideas you can reach us at threewisedms at gmail.com on the website in the what's your problem field or on facebook twitter and instagram we're very active on all these places this was actually an instagram message so jedi thank you very much for sending it in that's all for this week we'll see you next time on three wise dms Thank you.